Hey everybody, it is September 22nd, back again for episode 7 of Passive Thoughts. Uh, with me today is Chris Nadeau, as always. Say I wasn't fired yet. You're, you're on probation, for sure. <laughs> and today with us is, man, somebody that I think is like maybe one of the coolest people I've had the pleasure yes. of meeting. There's, there's no maybe to it. Come on. There's no Y'all maybe. <laughs> So he is, um, we actually met this, uh, met this dude while Chris and I were at Commerce. We were all at Texas A&M University Commerce together. And he went on to do a master's at SMU, for those that aren't Texans, that is Southern Methodist University, Cox School of Business, a really good school in strategy and entrepreneurship. Uh, and he also did a master's in arts administration while he was there and also got to study uh, in Milan at University of Bocconi. Uh, he's a fantastic piano player, and I feel like he knows more about art and life and traveling than anyone. That's a lie. Than anyone <laughs> my age, at least. Uh, so welcome, James Michael Williams, dude. How's it Thank going? You. Oh man, it's going great. How are you guys this evening? Oh, we're good. Not good. Chris saw me open up a, a Shiner Bach a few minutes ago, and it just exploded, exploded everywhere. And I just ran and had to grab like a rag, and it was all fiasco. Oh man. Oh, cool, dude. So, what are you up to right now, James? Where are you at in the in the career and life and all that jazz? Man, that's a that's a loaded question. Uh, <laughs> dude, I forgot right that. <laughs> I'll give you the simplest answer, and the simplest answer is I really don't know. But um, a more complete, complicated answer would be that I've, I'm, I'm in Tyler right now uh, with family. I graduated in May, and uh, I moved back home to kind of save money and make sure I get the job that I actually want to start my career in. So I've been here applying for jobs, doing interviews, and waiting for the right opportunity. So that's yeah, me. I feel that, man. <laughs> I feel like everyone we've talked to has been like so what are you doing right now or how'd you get to where you are now it's always the same it's just like dude i just figured it out as i went along there is no plan there is no path you follow that's already laid out you just like figure it out day by day almost yeah they don't tell you that in undergrad they should <laughs> they really should yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> life kind of kicks you in the butt uh when that first happens yep <laughs> oh man Dude, so uh, this is a total tangent, and it's, oh man, but it's not even related to anything, but I just saw it pop up on social media, and I just had to like bring it up because it was so weird. So have you heard about the Kimberly Thompson Beyonce thing? No. So Kimberly Thompson is, uh, she's a drummer, and she's Beyonce's drummer. Um, And basically... To sum Wait it up, she's really, really good. Kimberly Thompson's a great drummer. Oh. She's played with all these okay. jazz, uh, okay. all these jazz and R&B folks. Uh-huh. Um, she's uh, a part of Beyonce's all-female band, Sugar Mama. Uh, she has a music okay. education thing uh, on YouTube. She does like all this cool stuff. But I guess she's now filed a restraining order against Beyonce for practicing uh, like witchcraft and like. Says she's Beyonce is doing like <laughs> sexual molestation spells on her and like tapping her phones and getting into her bank account, which I this, feel like this, witchcraft. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Wow, yeah, that's that's a lot, man. 
Yeah, it just kind of came I, out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah, just to, just the idea of filing a restraining order against Beyonce is wild enough. <laughs> oh yeah, and then we, uh, we could we could we should address. I mean, addressing each, each one of the, those accusations. She's stealing her money from her bank account. Did she say that? She's accusing. Or tapping Be- into her bank. Yeah, accusing oh, Beyonce man. of getting in her bank account. Beyonce don't need that girl's money. She <laughs> sure doesn't. No way. Oh man. man anyway, but I, sorry. Uh, no, it's good. I guess. Uh oh. Was that? We hearing that? Yeah, it's weird. Mm. Huh. Huh, it stopped. I wonder if that's that's not me, is it? It's probably Beyonce, saying? guys. It's Beyonce. Oh, oh man. We saw. Oh man. Okay, I'm a believer now. Okay, Beyonce, Beyonce, you're good. Kimberly's in the wrong. You do yeah. you. Just just keep going with it. Yeah, oh, we're we still talking about it. percussion. We're talking about, talking Beyonce. about Beyonce. Have you heard the Beyonce people filing restraining orders against her for casting witchcraft? Yeah. Oh shit! Yeah. <laughs> I was let Bay throw some spells on me. <laughs> so we're we're definitely not going to cut this part out because this has gotten too good for anyone that's not in the loop. Chris has, I think, Beyonce summoned him away. Chris is gone, <laughs> and now his wife Emily is here. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I don't know. And now Chris is back. Chris has oh, yeah. Beyonce. He did his 70 yeah. years of servitude under Beyonce's yeah. witch spells, and now Chris is back. Yeah, it's wow. good. It was good. T- it was a good time. It was a great it was time. A good time. Wow. Hot takes by Chris. <laughs> Sign me up, goddammit. <laughs> yeah, I, sorry. I just saw that pop up like an hour ago. I was just like, first, that... Beyonce does not need her money. Yeah. No. The idea of Beyonce practicing uh, witchcraft, though, I don't know. I don't know. After that whole album with like Jay Z, she might. Maybe she's just going through some stuff. Yeah. Maybe it's her uh, Kanye moment. Uh, yeah. They all have to have a Kanye moment. Everybody has to have a Kanye moment. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. right. I guess um, they asked her for a response, and she talked to the reporter like in the third person. Like she was saying, like, "Well, Beyonce." did this like Beyonce is saying that Beyonce the stage presence like they're two different people mm. and now I'm just oh man I don't know what's going on hey man the, the art didn't got to her <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. all that creating man it does something to your brain if you're not careful you got to balance that out with some real honest stupidity <laughs> drummer ain't getting enough stupid in her life man I she got a go lot of that <laughs> <laughs> Oh uh, yeah, I'm out of balance. I need more. I need more art. I need less yeah. less of the office. Mm, yeah. See. Well, we yeah, all have our thing. That's right. Well, that's that's. I don't know what's this going. I mean, I'm sure it's going to turn into nothing. Like you can Google search the restraining order. It's like public knowledge now. But I Man. feel like she, I feel like she threw in the witchcraft things just to like, all right, this will like spice it up a little bit. Because there was one thing in there about. Uh, accusing her of taking artistic merit so i feel like it's a very simple thing like maybe she did some sort of i don't know drummed on a track and didn't get the proper uh royalties or payment and now she's trying to to get that out of her which i'm yeah man well man anyways crazy world 
Yeah, it's a crazy world. It's hard to drum for Beyonce when you got a restraining order on her too. So That's I guess true. she's That's... out of a gig too. I I'm... guess so. I'm open. I'm jobless right now. <laughs> I mean, I'm not jobless, but I mean, I will be jobless for that gig. Mm, mm, yeah, fair. Yeah. I mean, I don't even know how to drum, but I'd figure it out. I mean, I'd do it. Yeah. You can play piano. Can you get one of those patches that has like the drum sounds? <laughs> yes. Just all the G's are bass hey. drums, all the C's are snares. As long as they have it all written out for me. You're good. <laughs> Give um, me about six months to practice. I, I can figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> well, dude, James, man, I feel like you've traveled the world more than, more than most. Like, where, where all have you been? It's like an impressive uh, list. Yeah, well, um, I went to I went to Asia. Uh, I did uh, Korea and or excuse me, I hate it when people are like yeah I went to Asia. I did Korea and China, and that's just the that's the dumbest thing anyone could ever say. <laughs> I went to Seoul, and I got to spend some time in Seoul, and I got to go to Shanghai, and um, uh, that was my first time in Asia. Uh, I did a lot of traveling in Europe. Spain, France, um, uh, Andorra, uh, Italy, Switzerland, um, Norway, Sweden, and Finland, and uh, England. And um, most recently, I you know, just got back from Iceland again, Canada, and uh, spent a little bit of time in Mexico City, but not enough to count it. Um, <laughs> it was my first time south of Texas, though, so that's... That's a pending trip for me. I think that's in Morocco. I've been to Morocco, too. I think that's about my list. I think I rolled through all of them. Wow. Dude, this... Yeah, man, that's good. Do you think... <laughs> and I feel... I mean, I already know what you're going to say, but do you feel like your travels have, like, been a significant impact on you as, like, an artist and a person? Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's, there's nothing like... There's nothing like being in a country by yourself and... Um, like witnessing something that you think is the, the most beautiful or most perfect moment that you've ever experienced and being alone. Like it, there's nothing like being there's alone. Like, you know, I'm alone right now sitting on this porch and then there's, you know, 15,000 miles away from home or 10,000 miles away from home in a country where no one speaks your language and sitting on a porch by yourself. Then there's that type of alone. <laughs> and that type of alone, it really, I mean, it's, it, it, you tap into something that you, that you didn't know existed. And that's, that's, I think, where it really, that changes your mind, that changes your art, that changes your whole perspective on, on everything. So, yeah, I guess the answer to your question is, yeah, it's, traveling does, has changed me and it's changed the way that I view art and the world. So, wow. That would, would you recommend, like, <clears throat> Like everyone, especially in those college, undergrad years, post-undergrad, just like put their money or apply for everything they can to like be able to just go like see the world? Well, yeah, I, but I, you know, I think that I think traveling is actually a lot cheaper than people think it is. Mm -hmm. And I think I don't think. I wouldn't recommend that college students change anything to make to, to travel. I would just recommend they make traveling a priority. So we all got money, you know. It, it 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 may not be a lot, but if if you you can find some place to go, 
mm-hmm. you can find some place to go for what little bit that you have. And to be honest with you, um, I mean, I'd, I'd honestly recommend that people that are in college just jump off the deep end. And if you got if you've got minus eighty dollars in your bank account, get on a plane and travel with minus eighty dollars in your bank account. Because there's nothing like figuring it out when you don't have any other, any options or. It's. I mean, it's. Those are the best stories. <laughs> when you right. do stuff and you ain't, you don't have any resources. So yeah, I'd, I'd recommend it. Yeah, absolutely. People should travel even when they don't feel like they they can afford it. Yeah, I've only, outside of, like being inside the continental U.S. and traveling around there, the only places I've been internationally were Australia, which was great. Mm-hmm. Um, and then la- actually funny enough one year ago today I got back from Italy but oh, I remember man. like being able to figure out what's going on in a different country by yourself is yeah. like yeah it's nuts <laughs> like I mean it was yeah. super spook like the first 12 hours because I had to like mm-hmm. land I landed in um, I landed in Rome uh, airport mm-hmm. And then I basically had to get across the country, which, I mean, it's Italy. It's not, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's smaller than Texas, pretty much. Like, it, you can drive across Italy, you know, faster than you can drive across Texas. That's true. But, uh, yeah, it was basically like I had bought a bus ticket ahead of time. And then mm-hmm. I showed up. Like, that bus apparently was no longer operating at that, <laughs> at that airport. So I'm like, all right, I've got, you know, this much money in the currency. Mm-hmm. You know, I know just enough Italian, and luckily they all speak English for the most part. Yeah. Uh, but I was like, I know enough Italian to get like what I need to get, and just like the process of having to like figure it out and like figure out okay oh, yeah. where I'm going, and I'm trying to tell the people what city I'm going to, and then they're just like, what? Because I'm not, I didn't pronounce it right. Like it was a, it was a Pescara. I kept saying Pescara. Oh, and man. they just like they just were they're just like where? I didn't think it was gonna be that that big of a change, but they just yeah, I guess it was enough that they were like, man, I don't know where you're trying to go, but they eventually helped me and figured it out. And then it was just like, all right. And then I got to town, had to figure out how to get from that city to the next city over to the hotel, and it was just like, man, after like after doing something like that, it's like. Nothing else yeah. seems like like getting lost in downtown Dallas, yes. and, not, and not being and not yeah. being sure where you're going is like, eh, it's whatever. <laughs> as long as you're not on foot. Oh, as man. long as you're not on foot. Yeah. Yeah. I think For I'd sure. rather be lost in Rome at that point. For sure. Uh, well, yeah, you can kind of walk to the other side of Rome. <laughs> yeah. You cannot do that in Dallas. <laughs> no, no way. Oh man. Have you been? I'm out? interested. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead, James. No, I was I was going to ask you about Australia. I'm terrified of that continent, man. Everything will kill you. Did you see anything there that will kill you? <laughs> so, so check this out. Yeah, um, only only twice. Okay. Which I, I was there for two weeks, so that's once a week. So that's not. That's like. <laughs> I mean, that's like saying, okay, I saw a bear this week and I saw a bear last week. It's like, yeah, it's kind of spooky. But no, man, I tell you what, Australia and America, I feel like are the same country. Like, Are you serious? Outside of, I mean, they drive on the other side of the road. And, okay. Uh, like, you know, there's a little bit of an accent difference, obviously. But, like, everybody kind of was cool. And it was, like, a very, like, a, 
I don't want to say it was like America because I feel like it's probably more the other way around. We're closer to them. But yeah, everybody's like just friendly, cool. Um, Yeah. I mean, it's just really nice. And yeah, I had a great time. The only animals I did see, uh, I saw a spider, which was like a large spider. And then who we were who we were staying with, they were just like, oh, yes, yeah, no big deal. You know, that's like just a garden spider. I just like, whoa, 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 whoa. No, no, no. A garden spider no. is like maybe the size of your palm. That thing's mm-hmm. like the size no. of a small cat. And then the other no. thing we saw, we went to a sanctuary and saw kangaroos and they were telling us like, like, yeah, you know, kangaroos are kind of like what we hear as deer in America. Like, they're kind of a nuisance and they're everywhere. And you'll, be drive, uh, you'll be driving and you'll see them in the background. Um, no. But, yeah, we were just like, we didn't see any the whole time. And then the last night we were there, we went to a winery. And then we were driving back. Our buddy who lived there was driving us back. And he was just like, yeah, guys, that stuff's, you know about kangaroos hopping out in the street. It just, you know, it doesn't happen. Right when he said it, two kangaroos hopped over <laughs> hopped over the hood of the car. I was just like, I effing told you so. I knew there was kangaroos out in the wild. That that reminds me exactly of when uh, Samuel Perzulo came to Commerce oh, for his yeah. master's. And so, like, because uh, him and Lizzie, his wife Lizzie, they'd come from yeah. Brazil, remember? And so... Yeah. Um, I remember we were driving around that one day and we were asking him because he had been in Texas for a while. And it's East Texas, which is, you know, as we all, all three of us know, terrible. <laughs> and uh, but I remember he was talking. He said he's like, yeah, I was a little disappointed. You know, in Brazil, we, we think Texas and we think ranch and uh, cowboys and like steer and all this other stuff and like horses. And and nobody has that. And we were like in the car driving back to the school going like, yeah, that's that's like just like a Hollywood stereotype. People don't really just ride horses. And as we were saying that, there were two kids just riding their horses down that highway in front of the university. Like, just right. And he just had the biggest smile. Like, uh, really? But I was like, oh, that was like the worst timing ever. But that was just commerce, though. Those kids rode horses everywhere. I saw them every single day. Oh, yeah. I saw, I saw. I think, at least twice, I saw people on horses at the Taco Bell drive-thru or the McDonald's yep. drive-thru. It's good stuff. So I, I think what's funny is going back to that like idea of like Texas is a stereotype in Hollywood. After being, in, I've gone to play with the Cheyenne Symphony up in Wyoming a few times now, and like every time I go up there, like I think Wyoming fits the stereotype of Texas more than Texas does. Interesting. Like everything's kind of like that old west, like Wild West, like uh, mm-hmm. kind of open like ranch land style. You go into Cheyenne, and you remember how like in the '80s for some reason everything was either brown or orange. Yep. Can you see those old TV shows? That's like Cheyenne. <laughs> I don't even know where Wyoming is. I know it's like in the, it's to the left of Nebraska, to the west it's, of Nebraska. It's it's like it's directly north of uh, Colorado, so okay. it's like okay. it's like a forty-five minute drive from where I'm at. Okay. But uh, it's yeah. not not a lot of reason to go there unless you want to go see some pretty open spaces. And hopefully nobody's mm-hmm. listening from Wyoming going. You know what? Screw this, Chris guy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. No, we don't have any listeners from Wyoming. We might, no, if we do. I'm really sorry. Chris is you, already on probation. I'm He'll sorry be... you live in Wyoming. <laughs> <laughs> so we can say that again. We're all yeah. from. Through. So we got. 
I'm from Texarkana, which is like the most far east northeast corner of Texas. Caleb's from Paris, Texas, which has never been on the good news for a good reason. <laughs> <laughs> and then James, you're from Tyler, right? I'm from Marshall, which is even Marshall, even deeper. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. We yeah. are Marshall. No, we are not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's a college, but okay. Is that it? Yeah. Uh, Have you gotten to travel internationally, Chris? I don't think I've ever asked you that. I've done just a little bit. Um, the only, I mean, it's not a lot. The only traveling I've done on my own, uh, own was uh, a, several years back, I actually went with, a, I got to play with a group from uh, Texarkana that was doing a little bit of a tour they did uh they played as a choir like a mass combined choir for uh, was it i think it's beethoven's mass in c and carnegie okay. hall mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so i got to travel with that uh doing a little bit of percussion and then they they took that same group over to montreal uh where mm-hmm. the uh the former now former director of the texarkana symphony uh maestro mark andre bougie was from where he had studied and did his undergrad and masters in composition and conducting and so we took us home and we played there, did some more percussion, got to travel. And Montreal was a lot of fun. Like, uh, yeah. uh, the only sad part was Cirque du Soleil and the body exhibit were there. And mm. nobody wanted to go to either one with me. So oh, that's big, hard. I should have gone by myself. But <laughs> um, other than that, uh, the only real out-of-the-state traveling I've done was uh, my wife and I's honeymoon. Uh, we wanted to travel. We didn't know where. So we did the stock. We'll just do like a seven-day cruise because that'll get us to a couple places pretty quick. Uh the first one was actually kind of bunk. We stopped in Cozumel, and our reaction, because we're both ignorant to travel, we're like, we'll just hop off the boat and go to the beach. Because it made sense in our mind when we stopped in Cozumel and we got there. And uh, then obviously they're not dropping us off at the beach. They're dropping us off in the port area where it's little America, where they're like, hamburgers and chicken strips. And yeah. for some reason, <laughs> diamonds and cigars. Buy a lot of diamonds and cigars. And I'm like, I have no money. And then we're like trying to get a cab to go to... Uh, go to the beach and then every cab was like oh that's gonna be like a hundred dollars and we're like it's like a five mile drive no it's not like one guy tried to give us the run run around that he had to drive around the island showing us on a map and i was like what about the road that just goes straight to the beach (laughs) (laughs) we didn't go to the beach that day we just kind of walked around ate some food um everybody was trying to hustle something on us because obviously we were americans in the like the touristy area um we ate at Jimmy Buffett's Margaritaville just because I thought it would be funny to eat there. It was terrible. Hated it. Uh, <laughs> best experience, though, was everywhere we went, Emily found a dog uh, because oh, she just does that. And there was a little tiny – like it looked like the old Taco Bell Chihuahua, like almost <laughs> an exact replica. The sweetest little dog just sitting in the middle of like the shopping area, like of all these little shops. Um, and it led us into a shop. That is, that's apparently what it was trained to do. And uh, oh, we man. talked to this like souvenir shop guy for like half an hour who poured us free shots of tequila and uh just chatted with us so that was fun um Mm. so the next place we went to was uh belize and that Mm. was actually a really fun one for two reasons we did uh we went and saw some of the mayan ruins which is something we both always wanted to do Mm -hmm. but uh we had plenty of time to kill so we were kind of we went we decided we're going to leave that touristy area because if somebody tried to sell us diamonds one more time we were both going to go crazy um and this was a fun experience for me because like we talk about the idea of like you know like what what you perceive people to be until you actually meet them and like so we found like we had walked away and we found like this little market street um where there's just a whole bunch of people like with little stands set up and it's obviously it's a really poor country um yeah and uh which was beautiful but like we i realized even us like we complain about like i just finished my master's degree uh, i'm working at community college where i'm making maybe tens tens of dollars a week and (laughs) 
uh, you know, not, not, it's not the most extravagant living. But then I think about, like, the fact that, like, you know, these people, were, some of the houses didn't have roofs over them. Or, yeah. like, uh, you know, they talked about, like, boxes of cereal being a, a child's gift for, like, their birthday. Uh, oh. You know, like, they, they really didn't have much, and they didn't complain a lot when we talked to them. They were just very happy and, like, grateful for what they had. So it made me think about the fact that it's like, yeah, we struggle with bills month to month every now and then. Or, like, maybe, you know, I, I still can't buy that snare drum I want or that, like, the I really want these mallets, but I have to hold off for a little bit. But it's like, man, I've still got, like, a roof over my head. We've got a bed. We've got all the things we could ever actually really need. And we live in northern Colorado, which, granted, it's super expensive and kind of hard to justify but at the same yeah. time, it's like I can walk out of my house and do like a mountain hike up to a lake. And it's like, you know, a five minute walk to the trail. But yeah. uh, but uh, the other thing was the funniest part was we were walking down the street. And I remember we both saw the same person at the same time and had two completely different reactions. And you all both know Emily well enough to know how she would have reacted. I remember looking down the street and at the very end was this very scary looking Bond villain. Uh, <laughs> with like Long dreads, like one eye. Sorry, just a second. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. so we had like we he had the long dreads, one eye, and he's like literally swinging a machete just down oh, the no. end of the road. And I remember <laughs> every red flag hit me. I was just like, we can't go that way. We can't go that way because we're we're clearly American tourists. This isn't going to end well. And Emily's just like happy going down the street looking at all the colorful like tapestries people have all this stuff like she just like just smiling at everybody she goes we're heading straight towards that guy and i'm like every bit of me wants to run because i'm terrified of the machete and like you know and so she like we go straight down there because she's following her nose at this point and something smelled amazing and we get down there and it's like a little food booth like plastic card table with buckets for seats like painters buckets wow. and it's like five dollars we got uh like this kind of like like it was almost like Creole food from like Southern Louisiana, like like uh, bar steam barbecued chicken with fried red beans and rice or red beans and rice and fried plantains. And the guy with the machete was selling coconuts full of rum and like wow. turned out to be like the most delightful person we've ever met. Like I remember him like just chopping off the top of the coconut, handing it to me and handing me the bottle of rum. And then I just like very nervously kind of poured like a little bit in there. And I was like, oh, thank you. And, you know, I hand it back to him. And then he's like, oh, no, no, no. And, like, pours out, like, half of the coconut and just dumps the rest of the bottle in there. And it's, like, $7. We get this amazing meal and, like, this coconut full of rum, which they were selling the same coconuts of rum, like, back at the port for, like, 25 bucks. Oh, and uh, But we got, we got to talk with everybody. They were super nice. And we were confused about the language they were speaking, which we found out was actually English. Uh, but it's the same way, like, Southern Creole French is in Louisiana, where it's just so, like, heavily, like, uh changed from like the uh what's the word i'm looking for uh just the accent and dialect of the area like that's the same thing there it's they were speaking english but we just had no idea what any of it meant uh um, like, it was just like yeah i remember walking down there and being like terrified of this guy and then emily being the carefree person she is that can make a friend with anybody just like almost beeline straight to him and becomes the best friends and uh but it was it was it was a funny introspective moment for me when i was sitting there thinking i was like you know Granted, I feel like there's a little justification in feeling those red flags of like a scary man swinging a machete down the road. <laughs> I was just like, <laughs> actually, I don't think anybody wants to walk to that person. Yeah. But like, he turned out to be like one of the friendliest people we met on the entire trip. Yeah. Um, and then after that, we went to Roatan, Honduras, and had way too much alcohol on a beach finally. 
<laughs> Finally found your beach. Yep. That's right. Got to snorkel along like the second, like the world's second largest uh, coral reef. Mm. Uh, giant fish bigger than me swimming by it was really weird. Wasn't a fan. No, I don't do. Uh, it's the lysophobia. If anyone's heard of it, it's like the fear of not so much water and not so much the. It's like the unknown of the ocean. Oh. It's like those like those pictures of like um, people that, where there's the big cliff drop off underwater, like you go so far out oh. to the ocean from a beach. And I was just like, no, I can't. And it's apparently one of the most common fears is that and uh, or the thoughts of being like next to a submarine underwater. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, it's really interesting. Total total tangent. But Chris there is there. Oh no! Go ahead. Go ahead, James. I was say there was that weird like moment where like we did find the drop off of the coral reef. And like it was like a like a fifty or so foot drop, and that was like the weirdest, creepiest vibe over there. Like, yeah, uh, yeah I couldn't handle that moment. This speaking of a weird fact, I believe it's ninety five percent of our oceans are unexplored. Isn't yeah, that crazy. Yeah. Wow, is it really that much? Yeah, it's that much. Yeah, it's like an insanely high number because we just yeah. can't. You can't go low enough in certain parts. We just don't have like the ability. I just have a fear that there's man. There's something down there. I have like the, there's like the the squid monsters down there that can like eat a ship or something. Pacific yeah. Rim, like the movies, just waiting to happen. Well, yeah, that's, I that's, wouldn't doubt it. That's like similar to like, because I know there's a lot of people that talk about studying the ocean in terms of studying like space, mm-hmm. and like um, yeah. I'm always blown away when I hear people talk about like listening to like the NASA podcast or anything like that, and they say something along the lines of that they still think we know less than 1% about what there is to know of the known universe. Yeah. That's not right, including yeah. what the things we can't even imagine yet. Yeah. That just blows my mind. Yeah. Yes, man, it's scary. Chris was talking... A question for... Oh, go ahead. go ahead, James. Well, I, had a, I had another question for Chris. In regards to honeymoons, mm. would you do the cruise again? Oh. Yes. And I, I will say there, there was one thing I should say about our honeymoon cruise is we did it during like the beginning of January, the off season. <laughs> okay. So it was affordable because we're poor, and there wasn't uh-huh. there was there was a lot of people on the ship, but there wasn't a lot of people there. So like when we yeah. wanted to be around people, it was easy. Mm-hmm. Um, but when we wanted to be to ourselves, that was also really easy too. So like we like for those seven days, like especially coming from where we're still teaching, I was still teaching down in Plano. Uh, yeah. Just like the fact that we had our cell phones turned off for like a week, uh, like they literally became cameras at that moment. Um, mm-hmm. And like we were just able to kind of be in our own little world. Like so we were out exploring the countries for those days. It was it was a fun it was a fun way just to kind of travel quick for to see multiple like cultures at once. Um, yeah. But like I actually liked the the cruise part more than I thought I would. Uh, just because like it yeah. was kind of nice to feel so disconnected. Like my favorite parts of the trip were us just like like laying out on the deck and then just kind of watching the water go by and just seeing nothing off in the distance, uh, watching the sunrise, the sunset. There was that magical moment where we finally saw dolphins playing in the waves behind the boat. Oh, nice. And like we were both like way too excited about it, I think, because we were trying to show it to everybody and nobody else cared. <laughs> and we're like, oh, forget you guys. This is magical. This is like Disney in life. What's wrong with you? No, I would... I would totally recommend it, and I would do it again, too. Like, we've actually talked about doing it again. It was as, like, maybe privileged, like, like Western culture as that sounds. Like, I mean, 
that was something we never thought we would do, and we saved up for an entire year just because we didn't know what to do for our honeymoon. It just seemed like the the thing we could do to travel the most. Yeah. Sounds like you're a guy. <laughs> oh yeah, Chris, are you working at like some some travelocity? I never said the name of the cruise or anything. He has not said the name of the cruise. I'm not brand loyal. Do whatever you want. Live your own life. (laughs) I don't know how much milk you want in your cereal. 30%. No, no, it was a fun one. Oh, man. Yeah, that's good. So on terms of like travel, there's this really cool, they did an MBA study uh, in 2014. So not too long ago, four years. But this 2014, 2014 study of MBA students at NSEED, um, which is a globally ranked MBA program that there's uh, establishments all over the world. They're kind of all interconnected and they help each other out. Mm-hmm. But they found a link between students' multicultural engagement, which is mm-hmm. the extent to which they adapted to and learned about new cultures when they yeah. studied abroad, and their integrative complexity, which is their willingness and capacity to acknowledge competing perspectives on issues. So in like the basic layman's terms, that's saying students who became highly engaged to other cultures during their international program had an easier time handling and holding multiple conflicting views on the same issue. And their interactions Mm. with cultures gave them a better perspective. And then additionally, Mm. there was a further link between multicultural engagement and the number of job offers that those students received post-degree uh, kind of showing that companies value perspective. And they yeah. went on and they did a second little study where they had students take RAT exams, which I'm still not 100%. It has to do with creativity, but it's called Remote Associates Test. Uh-huh. Uh, it's some sort of creative problem solving for business. But before the test, they had half of these students, and all of them have studied abroad because they're at mm-hmm. the school. Half the students are told to recall and write down their experiences living abroad which is priming their brain with thoughts of travel and multicultural experiences. Uh And the results ended up being that the half of the students that did prime their brains by bringing up these memories of like what it was like to not just visit the place and go see the touristy things, but to live in these communities and like see, like Chris was saying, see the, not the touristy parts. Uh, Mm -hmm. All 50% scored, sorry, sorry, sorry. The results were that half the students priming their brains living ab- abroad, they all, saw, uh, they all solved more than 50% more problems than the other oh, wow. half, the control group. Yeah. So the wow. researchers found that creative enhancement was significantly higher for those that recall their travels. Interesting. And uh, so in short, travel alone is not what's so cool. Like when we say like, yeah, you know, go to like, like I've seen James's pictures and your stuff you do. And it's just like, when you went to like Milan, you didn't just go, okay, I'll, I'm just going to knock out the tourists, the big five, knock out the art <laughs> museum. And just like, all right, I've been to Milan. It was just like getting inside the culture and like seeing yeah. how they live. And like, yeah, yeah, I feel like they talk about traveling and open-mindedness and they mm-hmm. don't mention that it's not, <clears throat> it's not seeing cool buildings and stuff. It's like seeing that, I don't want to be too crass because I'm, I won't say any countries in particular, but not being too crass, but it's just like those people that like you might at one day or one point of your life think like, oh man, you know, I'm not for those people to come into this country or, you know, we should go to yeah. war with those people. But then you go yeah. over there and you see like, okay, this is just Chris Nadeau, but in another country 
and he's yeah. eating a different cuisine, but he's still yeah. complaining about the same crap. It's just a little bit different. <laughs> yeah. um, he just likes a different flavored hot wing. Yeah, yeah. he likes he likes a different flavored hot wing. He likes uh, he likes dry rub instead. But yeah. Um, yeah, I feel like if yeah, and I know it it can be tough, but yeah, being able to have those experiences just makes you so much more just aware. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Beto Beto O'Rourke, twenty eighteen. Uh, yeah, yeah, Beto, 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 Beto. He's the man. Beto's the man, dude. Yeah, uh, he's such a. Mm. Did you watch the, to vote the, the debate last night with him and Ted Cruz? It was glorious. It was good. Yeah. It was it. You know, I, matter of fact, I'm be interested to get you guys' perspective on this. But I had a friend of mine this morning who was talking about. Um, uh, she was trying to figure out how the rest of her friends chose people to vote for. And her uh, thesis was that it's getting more and more important for uh, our generation to vote for people who are kind and personable because uh, we need people in Congress and the Senate and, you know, in higher positions of office uh, who can be personable and work on both sides of the aisle to kind of uh, shore up the rift. And, um, so, yeah, she just kind of put the question out there. She's, like, interested to know, like, how you guys choose people to vote for. And um, I, I took some time and I thought about it because I'd never really kind of thought about that. I'm, and and honestly, I've always been the person that if I was not 100% sold on a candidate, I didn't vote for him at all or just didn't participate. And that's kind of because I, I believe a vote is an endorsement of a person. And if I don't agree with the person's character or, or their stances or a combination of those things, then I'm not going to endorse them to, to work on my behalf, even though, yeah, they are going to work on my behalf. But I think, you know, traveling kind of, uh, you know, back to that traveling topic, but, but traveling, it kind of it kind of made me realize the world is not so very large. And I may have grown up American. I may have an American passport. If I don't like things here, I can move. And so. That's kind of my fallback on on like if I don't agree with your policies, I'm not going to vote on you, I'm not going to vote for you because there's policies somewhere in the world that I can go and be a part of that I actually agree to. So anyway, how do you guys choose your candidates to vote for? Like uh, like what's your what's your what's your what's your checklist? Like what do you do? I think that's something we've talked about quite a bit, too. And maybe not in those exact terms or words, but like it, I, I have thought about it a little bit. I mean, obviously, there's checking off like what's important to me. Like, obviously, like uh, education stances are always big yeah. um, due to like you know recent family histories, uh, like stance on like medical medical med, uh, medical reform, uh, pharmaceutical reform is really big for me as well. Um, and then like uh, you know how we're looking at spending tax money. Uh, but mm. a big one I've realized that's come to me is, I mean, something similar is like empathy, like how you said, yeah. like, um, and it's for that exact reason. It's like, you know, we, whatever side you vote on or whatever side you lean on, like, I, I feel like we should want somebody that's empathetic. Yeah. Like, you know, like, we talk about those people that need to be hard, like need to be stern and tough to make tough decisions. But I, I, I think you should be, I think the people we vote for should be empathetic to be able to make those tough decisions because sometimes yeah. they're too stern to the point to where, they just refuse to look at something the way it is or, you know, take the moment to just acknowledge somebody else's plight. I mean, we can look in our own country of like the Flint, Michigan still being an issue. Yeah. And like, 
and again, not playing on any side of the spectrum, but like, you know, I can hear people talk on a daily basis, like where they can be completely open hearted about like how awful that is. And I've heard people that just be like, doesn't affect me. It doesn't bother me. I don't care. They can just figure it out. If they didn't like it, they would move. And, and you yeah. know, you bring up those things. It's like, well, maybe some of the people can't move. That's true. Like, like maybe like everything they have, everything they've put into their life is there and maybe they just yeah. don't have the resources to move. I mean, like, I think in our field, especially, it's kind of easy for us to move because, you know, like everything we're based on is our jobs as musicians. But, uh, you know, it's like if, you know, like maybe there's some kind of you're some kind of factory worker where you have a special skill that's designed towards that one area. Mm -hmm. It's like, I mean, what are you going to do if you leave? Yeah. So, yeah. But I, I think empathy is a big one that I've really come to discover recently through talks with like my wife and friends and stuff. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think on the the empathy thing seems to be flipped towards the liberal side a lot. And then the conservative argument is like, oh, you're empathetic. You're like, you're weak. Like you can be bought out. <laughs> like, yeah. I feel like, yeah. And then they, I mean, it's just like, yeah, for every, every good point you can bring up, someone can bring up a, a, a devil's advocate. Yeah. So there's always a double edge to everything when it comes to politics. Like you, you can see the good or bad in anything the way you want it. To fit your own agenda mm -hmm. so yeah i think i go by issues more more or less than anything else mm -hmm. um like if if i really like uh better o'rourke but if he wasn't uh if he was just like i'm for or i'm pro banning you know cannabis i would i'd probably say like well you know i don't agree with that but i think there's enough good points that we'll at least make i'd rather make a step forward than a step backwards i guess yeah yeah that makes sense yeah yeah i'm start. i'm starting to really appreciate uh earnestness and mm. honesty yeah and i think Bet beto is probably one of the most earnest politicians he's just so so enthusiastic about what he believes in and he has the same message and it's it's very it's very concise and he's very earnest about it, and that's generally a trait of honest people. And so I can I can disagree with someone, but I'll vote for them if they're honest, and I can see their track record and see like there's a very very consistent on these several issues. Uh, I'll vote for an honest politician over a dishonest one that I agree with any day, because you can you can argue with an honest politician. You can you can you can debate them. You can sway them, or maybe not sway them, but you can you can have a discourse. And as long as you know where someone stands, they're never going to backdoor you on anything. They're going to be straight up about it. And honesty is very important. But I think I'm 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 personally I'm open to uh, I'm open to a very growth perspective in that position. Because I do know recognize now that more and more we, we do need empathy in this country. We do need to we need people who can <laughs> who can mend a lot of mend the bridges, build, you know, put some glue in what we've we've uh, we've broken up in this country. So, but yeah, that's that's thank you guys for sharing your thoughts on that. I, yeah. Oh, for sure. It reminds me of the like there's a a work video that gets shared around a lot where he uh -huh. talks about police and uh, African American shootings and like the video you see. If you see the whole thing, it makes perfect sense and it's fine. It's just like, oh, yeah, yeah, good point. But if you see the way that 
the more left-leaning groups cut it up. Yeah. It just And then you see the way the right-leaning groups cut it up. And if you only saw that information, it would probably sway you because they do yeah. a really good job of cutting out and cutting exactly yeah. what they want. It's like if I was saying something like, like the first clip you see is like, I think Chris is uh, unnecessary for this podcast. And then you see the whole clip and then it's like, Chris is unnecessary for this podcast because, you know, he's renewing his vows or something. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> and he needs to be doing that right now instead. <laughs> and it's just like, yeah, when you have the full story, like things make so much sense. It's the same thing with the, uh, y'all saw the picture, I'm sure. It was months back when Trump was at the, I think this is the UN committee. And it looked like he was yeah. folding his arms all mad and everybody was yeah, looking at him. But yeah, then you see yeah. like you see like the pictures that come before and after it, and it's just like it happened to be that. And I don't, I do not like Donald Trump in the slightest. <laughs> but it, I mean, context is everything. Like you see yeah. the picture taken yeah. immediately after it, and it just happened to. And that picture ended up like that, where it looked like yeah. everyone was frowning at him, and he was throwing a bit. A big temper tantrum. Yeah, I will. I will say that I hate that meme culture has become political. Ooh. Yeah. Like, Ooh. Like, Land on that for a minute. Yeah, uh, like I'm, I, this is weird that this turned into a political episode. We'll get back on point <laughs> at some point. But like we've talked about this a lot, to where like, like that it just like the whole meme. I like the idea of a meme. People's like, here's a picture with just some random ass statistics, or like some message that's clearly just sensational, all emotional. No, like you Google it in five seconds, have the answer to show that it's wrong. Mm -hmm. and like but they're everywhere and it's not just like on the right like the left have it really bad too and like caleb and i've talked about this before where it's been really interesting living in east texas where it's you know obviously really conservative and uh like uh like like you you get i remember being like at a point where i was like i'm just so tired of being around like these like extreme like conservative closed-minded people to where like you can't debate them you can't talk of his like you know, it's just like, uh, maybe this is mean to say, but it's just like the world's going to end. This one part of the world wants to kill everybody because you're Christian and you're white. And I was like, oh, that's not true. Come on. Yeah. And then like yeah. you get I, and, like I lived in Dallas where it's a lot more mixed. Like there's like a healthy mix. I feel like that's why I like Dallas. It's like you can find people that are like, OK, you're really conservative, but you're still like a nice, calm, general person. You know, same thing with like the people on the left over there. And I've lived up here in Colorado, which has been surprising a little bit more of a battleground area than I thought. There's like a there's big pockets of like conservative and liberal people here, but like I like being in the art world up here. Like I'm around a lot of really liberal people, and yeah. I can finally say this with confidence, like that I've found some people that I'm like, you are too liberal. Like <laughs> I'm so like I'm just like to the point where I'm like I'm tired of being around these super closed-minded liberal people. <laughs> it's yeah. just like. And so yeah. it's not specific to one side of like the the spectrum again. Like we always like like each side tries to paint it. Like mm-hmm. they all they they all throw the same guilt on each other. Yeah. And uh, I, I just I, I feel like there is a certain part where you kind of jump off the end and you're a little too far to come back. But yeah. uh, that that's that's something that I kind of miss about that whole Dallas lifestyle. Is just like you know, it's either people were like they were conservative or liberal, but they were still open minded and just nice and didn't like attack you with it. Or they yeah. just didn't care, so it never came up. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I think that's what I miss more than anything sometimes. Yeah. but It's really 
it's really interesting that people get so polarized. Like you're either one thing, you're either on one side or you're on the other side. And it's mm. just like, like if you talk about health, man, this is, this is a great episode. We've gotten so political. It's like if you're on health insurance, Chris was talking about um, pre-existing conditions. I'm just like, yeah, that's like a really good point. But then at the same time, I had this thing of like, I know my dad, stepmom, and sister don't have health insurance because they're small business owners. Yeah. And they just, they're in that weird spot where health insurance is now too expensive. They can't afford it. And it's just like, oh man, there's like, there's just so many, it's not like a simple this or that. There's just so mm -hmm. many factors in play. Yeah. Yeah. I think we just got to hit the point to where I all realize that no matter who we elect, who and what, whatever office, like there's never going to be a time where everybody's happy. Oh yeah. And yeah. like. I, I can even feel like no matter who I elect personally, there's never going to be a time where I 100% agree with them always. Yeah. You know, because we're still electing people. That's <laughs> so, true. Yeah. That's true. That's true. Mad Max so Thunderdome. Mad Max Thunderdome's happening. I'm ready. I've watched that enough. I'm so ready. <laughs> I just want there to be a combination of a little guy and a big guy that actually go around calling themselves Master Blaster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, to get to get back onto the musical and art side of this, I did want to ask James, like going back to how much you've traveled and the people you've met and the sites you've seen and stuff, like how in a way we've kind of asked this, but personally, like from where you were with music beforehand, how did how has that changed you as either a performer or a listener after mm. your travels? Okay. Ooh, that's a I'm gonna have to Repeat that question one more time because I want to make sure I, I lean into it the right direction. So thinking back to like like before you had really done traveling, like traveled much, like what like mm -hmm. the kind of style, like maybe as a pianist even, like like or even just a listener, like whether it's classical uh, or even kind of pop culture music, like what you enjoyed playing and listening to beforehand, like has traveling changed like your perspectives of like performance or listening afterwards? Okay. Okay. And uh, will we limit this classical music or world music what, or whatever you want? Okay. Well, um, I think my case is really unique because uh, my my first trip abroad was for piano, and the network of people that I became involved with with my first trip led to four or five, six other trips. So I dare say about half of my travels have been uh, to these people with these people through these people. And that was the musical summer that I went to in, in France the first time. And um, I was getting ready to give up piano altogether. And then it was on a whim, last minute decision one day, I just went into a piano lesson. I hadn't practiced all week and I needed to take up time with conversation. So I told my instructor, I was like, uh, Dr. Sanchez, I said, Dr. Sanchez, I want to go abroad and I want to study abroad uh, with piano this summer, do a master class. And he was like, you want to do a master class? And I was like, yeah, I want to do a master class. I was like, what do I need to do? And he spent the next 45 minutes telling me what I needed to do <laughs> to go on, to a master class. And uh, so I was consumed. I wanted, Actually, it wasn't abroad. It was Brevard. I wanted to go to Brevard. Brevard. And so... Uh, I spent the next couple of weeks, like, with that as my goal, I prepared a whole really well for those next two lessons, and then I realized that Brevard probably wasn't going to happen because I wasn't good enough. And I was like, do you know of any other places that I could go? And then that's when the international travel came up, and he, he suggested this camp that was in France. 
I went to this camp in France, played table tennis with a guy who was my instructor for the, those two weeks. And me and the guy that I played table tennis with, we became best friends. Um, the next year, he invited me to come, and I had just gotten my first camera. He invited me to come and photograph the entire music festival. I went, photographed the music festival. Two years later, he bought his own camera, and he asked me to show him how to use it while we were at camp. I agreed. I showed him how to use it. He's now an astrophotographer, and he photographs the night sky. He took he, I went to Norway, Sweden, Finland, and Iceland with him, and we photographed the northern lights and the galaxies. And so that's seven, six countries that I've been to because of that, that one experience in France. And um, so, so, yeah, um, how has it changed my listening? How has it changed my playing? Well, it's changed my playing um, because I was going to give up piano altogether before I went to France. And I went to France and I met these wonderful people. I heard real piano music for the first time in my life, like no mistakes. It was the first time I'd ever heard playing that had no technical mistakes. And when I heard that for the first time, I, I, I knew like if, if this is what you want to do, this is what it's going to look like. This is what it needs to sound like. And it changed my outlook. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm kind of going all over the place now, but uh, it, it really changed my outlook on what perfection was and what it took to get there. Um, so my listening became different. I came back to the U.S. I was listening to classical music differently. Like, what does it take to be perfect? My practice was different. It was all about being technically perfect. I had the emotion, but I never had the technical proficiency. And so my pursuit of that technical proficiency really kind of led me to business because I realized that there's no way that with the education that I have right now and with the limited amount of resources that I have here in the U.S. that I'm going to be able to be that technically perfect unless I move to like Moscow or move to Germany or and study with one of those really, really evil professors that, that throws things at you all the time. Oh, thank you. So it 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 it. it it discouraged me, but it was a positive discouragement that led me to something better. Um, and uh, so it, it, traveling really does affect my listening. I've talked a lot about, I've talked a little bit about the classical music side of things. Um, it, it discouraged me out of a career. Traveling discouraged me out of a career in classical music, uh, but it encouraged me to find other things. And it encouraged me to keep traveling. It also introduced me to world music. And when I say world music, I mean any other music besides classical. I listened to nothing but classical and jazz music before I went to Europe the first time. That was all, that was my entire repertoire. I liked a little bit of country western because I grew up in the country, but I didn't even really listen to that. But after traveling the first time, um, and, and I mean, you got to have a soundtrack. You got to have a soundtrack. And there's not... <laughs> I mean, jazz isn't the perfect soundtrack for being on a train by yourself for eight and a half hours while you're in the middle of, you know, France or something. It doesn't work. You got to have something else. And I, I found like, you know, a lot of old, like old rock uh, and found even some some kind of new age underground uh, indie music, stuff like that, that would remind me of home. And while I was by myself and I fell in love with it. And be listening to it abroad, and my memories, they kind of attach themselves to music. I'd listen to it while I was abroad. It would remind me of home. 
when I'd get home and I'd get home like like travel sick or you know I'd, I'd kind of feel like get a little antsy I would listen to the music that I listened to abroad and it would remind me of an adventure that I had so it, it really did affect my traveling uh, my traveling did really did affect my listening it affected my career um, and you know I I say that I I, I I told that entire story like it ran me away from a career I actually still play so uh, <laughs> I'm working on a program now and that hopefully I'll, I'll get to present next month. I still play, but um, it's I'm a lot happier now when I play. I don't play because I, I, I have to survive. I play because I enjoy it. And, you know, it's been a long time since that's happened in my life. Yeah, yeah, I guess that, that's that's the answer to my question. If that made any sense at all, no, that made great sense. Yeah, yeah all man. over the place. That's awesome. I, I, I would like to point out one little ironic statement that he said: being from Texas and as percussionists, I, I don't know what you're about to say, and I he totally agree. About not having the technical like background. I, I just had yeah, that like, in my head. I was sort of thinking. I was like, man, that's such a funny statement because, like, if anybody ever thinks about Texas percussion, it's the it's opposite. technique. <laughs> it's just technique. Oh wow. And proficiency and stuff and they, like, yeah they can get around the instrument but there's no music happening oh wow i it's also always disagree with that statement though I've, I've seen some incredible like musicians in like high school levels still at texas now i do agree that there's programs that have had too mm -hmm. much focus on the metronome or the robotic quality yeah. but i mean I've, I've still seen like i think of a student that i had at uh plano west that i watched him play variations on japanese children's songs for marimba Mm -hmm. And which is not a high school level repertoire piece. I mean, it's it's advanced and so. Yeah. But I, and he he played it great. Like his, mm -hmm. he actually mm -hmm. had phrasing. He had listened. He had studied like listening to Keiko Abe and all these people. And like he he played with like great musical quality. Yeah. And I, that say that, and I still had kids that were playing like Blues for Gilbert on vibraphone, <laughs> and were like you know like it was like perfect time the entire time. I was like, all right, you can play a little bit more, mm -hmm. but uh. I, I've gotten to the arguments with faculty up here at CSU before where they've made like, oh, you know, those Texas bands, those wind ensembles, everything's like like computer perfect. And I'm like, no, I've been in wind ensembles <laughs> that aren't computer perfect, and it's still great. Now, I will I will add, though, that, that my situation might be unique to me and unique to piano. Right. Because in the in the piano world, uh, at least in Texas, I, I, I had never heard perfect playing before I went to Europe and you know I, I was sitting in concerts with kids from Moscow Conservatory who've competed in the Chopin International competition and me having never competed in a in any type of competition before in my life to be playing for playing in a room full of people listening to me who were Chopin level ready or Tchaikovsky concerto Tchaikovsky competition level ready there's 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 like it's not I'm not even on their spectrum and they, they were they were perfect I mean they like when you, I'd never heard perfect playing before in my life and that was the first time that I'd ever heard that so it was unique to me I I, I do agree that that Texas percussionists are, are, are beast I mean I've <laughs> I've <laughs> I, I've I've uh, not you not you I've, I've been a, I've been not a product of, of, of the listening uh, listening to you guys and just watching y'all's dedication to your craft, which is always, um, but yeah, yeah, that's that.
man. <laughs> yeah, you might have felt like that went all over the place, but that was really awesome. Yeah, that was yeah. great. <laughs> Glad to have shared. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I just got one uh, last little item that sure. I just wanted yeah. to, to talk about. And mainly because... So this is a person that I feel like in the past year, this person's name has come up almost on a weekly basis for me, like between, um, so between the Joe, I listen to Joe Rogan's podcast a lot, um, but between his podcast, Neil deGrasse Tyson's Star Talk podcast, Mm -hmm. uh, there's been books at local bookstores here and all across America. There's new biographies. There's a new Netflix documentary that just came out probably, um, well, I guess it was maybe last May. It's been out for a little while now. Uh, the At Percussion podcast, which uh, my professor Casey runs, he's mentioned it, and just others, just people keep bringing this person up, but it's this actress slash inventor, Hedy Lamar. and okay. I know if I know Casey likes to listen to this podcast when it comes out, so if you're listening, yes, I didn't steal, I, no, I did not steal your information, I did my own research, I did not copy-paste <laughs> yours, um, but just a little bit of background on her. So she's a she's a really famous actress. Um, some of her movies, uh, "Come Live with Me," uh, "Samson Delilah," "Algiers," "Boomtown," uh, "Ziegfeld Girl," "Ecstasy." They're older. They're older movies, but for those people that are into old movies, they're like, yeah, Hedy Lamarr is like a standard. Mm. Okay. Um, but she was born in 1914, Vienna, Austria, under her original name, Hedwig Eva Maria Keisler. Uh, okay. She studied ballet and piano as a child before she went to acting school, eventually dropping out to be Max Reinhardt's production assistant, who is a very mm. famous director that a lot of people have probably heard his name directing a lot of old-time movies. Her first large role was in a Czech film titled, Czech film titled Ecstasy, which was pretty hardcore for the time because she appeared nude, which was mostly unheard of for that time of uh, history. She married, before she was 20, to a man 30 years older than her, named Friedrich Mandel, who was actually an arms dealer in Vienna, weapons and munitions. He would actually go on to sell uh, munitions and aircrafts to the Nazis in the upcoming war. Oh, Um, man. But Lamar was basically required to be more or less uh, arm candy for Mendel's parties, his meetings, his general business. Like he was the big bad dude selling the mm-hmm. selling the guns, and she was just there to show off her good looks because she is very uh, very good looking woman. Um, oh, somebody's a little buzzy. Uh, his business partners actually turned out, like I said, to be Hitler and Mussolini. They later bought oh, from him. Uh, but what Lamar lacked in traditional education, she gained a great deal of knowledge in military tech, science, mathematics, and most notably, uh, these issues of math turned into her understanding of radio frequencies and their applications to wartime usage, such as torpedoes, jamming, and interference. So okay. upon her disgust with her husband's behavior and her endeavor, his endeavors he was taking with the Nazis, and his general just controllingness of her, she disguised herself as one of her maids and escaped to Paris in 1937, where she eventually divorced him. But she went on to London and was signed under the Young brand, which is now MGM, 
okay. under the name Hedy Lamar, which is the name she went by for the rest of her career outside of when she married. She married, I think, five other times. They all divorced. Uh, she divorced them. Uh, but, so her oh. acting career rose very quickly. She had a natural passion uh, and interest in math and inventing and tinkering. And then when she moved into Hollywood in 1940, she became friends with her neighbor, George Ann Thiel, who, if you're a percussion listener, you probably know the name George Ann Thiel. Uh, you know him from his piece Ballet Mechanique, which was originally composed to accompany a Dadaist post-Cubist art film under the same name, Ballet Mechanique, by Fernand Ledger. The score for this piece calls for 16-player pianos in four parts, so there's wow. four, uh, four, play, four player pianos to a part, two regular pianos, two, uh, sorry, two regular pianos, two xylophones, seven electric bells, three airplane propellers, sirens, four bass drums, and tam-tam. So, <laughs> <laughs> so for the time, if you think about the inconsistency, inconsistency of manufacturing, the most difficult part was getting 16 player pianos where the player piano roll was perfect and you could sync them up to start and end at the same time. It was really hard. Mm -hmm. Wow. Um, so singing those was basically impossible. Uh, but in addition to composing, Anthiel also became a syndicated advice columnist and author of a book on romance and endocrinology, a specifically study of hormones and their relations to romance. Uh, so the rumor, this isn't a hard fact on this one, but the rumor is that while they were neighbors, Lamar and Anthea, Lamar approached him for endocrinology advice, and then the conversation evolved into music, and then that evolved into Lamar's military background and mathematics interests. Uh, and then they began working on this idea of torpedo guidance systems with frequencies that are constantly changing so if you know about early torpedo, uh, well, still today, they still work on frequencies. We just use the transistor and electronics instead of uh, radio frequencies. But basically, to, to make it really, really simple, say I'm at frequency, the submarine's at frequency 5, and the torpedo is set to frequency 5, and we're shooting this torpedo that's guided to the enemy. So for the enemy to jam that torpedo and send it off course, they just have to go through the frequencies until they find the one that it's tuned to. So when they find frequency 5, that will divert it and stop it from locking on. So mm. basically, uh, the idea they came up with is to use player piano rolls. So you have two player piano rolls that change the frequency constantly as they play. So you, you press start on the submarine and the torpedo uh -huh. at the same time, and as opposed to having just frequency 5, now the torpedo is going 5, 6, 10, 8, 21, 3, and it's making it way harder to jam because you don't know, they don't know what frequency to jam because it's always changing. Yeah. Uh, so they came up with this patent, uh, and a similar thing came up with some other German engineers, and the U.S. worked on it some in World War II, as well as uh, Nikola Tesla also had a similar idea, but these, this was the first patent that was like uh, notable. So ultimately, the, uh, the device was deemed too bulky and not feasible for practical use because you think there's a lot of moving parts. Uh, there's mm -hmm. a high likelihood that it, um, it's going to fail, possibly. 
Yeah. Uh, but in 1957, the engineers at Sylvania Electronic Systems Divisions adopted this concept. They took their patent and built upon it using these transistors and uh, the electronics, which is what wow. evolved into what we use now. But basically, what is really, really cool about this is this, this concept of what they call frequency hopping, changing frequencies very consistently, or sorry, constantly to not be able to mm -hmm. lock one in. Yeah. Um, this, was, this patent was the precursor to Wi-Fi, GPS, and Bluetooth in cell phone satellite oh. use. So if you think about if all three of us, James, Chris, and I, are sitting next to each other, and we all make separate phone calls to separate people, our phones are doing frequency hopping at like the millionth level. So it's shooting wow. signals up and then back down. So if we didn't have this uh, frequency hopping device that Head Vilmar helped create, you know, our cell phone calls would be interrupted and I would be able to hear Chris's call, Chris would hear James's and they'd be all intermingled. So it's really wow. cool that they did that. And Thiel unfortunately died in 59. Uh, Lamar went on to continue filming and inventing. She died in 2000 in Florida. And she kind of was only known for her acting and the cool inventing and her interest in math was like a footnote. It was always by the wayside. Uh, but she's randomly with this surgence of like, uh, uh, like there's the Women's March and there's all these great things happening and the Me Too movements, obviously. But now Hedy Lamar is becoming this like unknown figure that was always there, that's just kind of being uncovered. Uh, but she has a documentary, or they have a documentary about her on Netflix called Bombshell, which goes through her whole life. That's where most of this info is from. Uh, but she has a really unfortunate quote, but she probably doesn't know how famous she is becoming, where she says, my face has been, because she was, again, very attractive as an actress, she says, my face has been my misfortune. It's a mask I cannot remove. I must live with it, and I curse it. Wow because she was always favored for her physical features when she was actually like a mathematical genius and like helped create like things we use constantly on a day to day. But wow. Yeah. That's, that's Hedy Lamar in a, in a nutshell, definitely the, the Netflix documentary and her bio and the other books do it more justice, but that's kind of the cliff notes version. I'm gonna have to see this, this, uh, I'm writing it down now. Bombshell. Bombshell. Yeah, it's really good, and it's it. it's not long. I think it's uh, it was like ninety minutes or so. It's, you know, it's okay. pretty good. But yeah, yeah, she was Thank cool. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, no, yeah, no problem. I, I need to hop on the train soon because otherwise, people are going to be like, "Ah, you stole it from, you stole <laughs> it from that percussion again." Just like, no, no, no. I did my own research. I promise. Mm, but um, yeah. Just happened to be off of Casey's notes. No, no, I, I didn't <laughs> use them. He, he'll he'll blame me. We'll have like a studio class, and he'll be like, "Hey, I heard you, I heard you're trying to get after me or something." I don't know. It's always <laughs> funny. Um, yeah. Cool, man. Well, James, are you? Do you have any like albums, books, film, anything like that you're into right now that's like really sticking out in your head? Oh man, uh, yeah. Well, I have artists. Uh, right now, I'm really into um, Novo Amor. I'm not pronouncing that correct. Uh, uh, it's New Love or New Heart is the translation. It's a little bit loud. But, um, yeah, man, 
and I, I don't know what it is. He's got this song called Anchor that uh, if you get a chance to watch the video, do watch the video. Yeah. Um, the video is uh, kind of patterned it after uh, like a Scandinavian myth uh, called it the, the Selkie hmm. uh, about, about like, a, like a, uh, if a fisherman were to pick up this a Selkie skin, then the skin would turn into a lady or the 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 seal would turn into a lady and and you know he could he would become his wife essentially it's a scandinavian myth but the video is a it's kind of patterns itself behind this this myth and it is beautiful it's such a perfect pairing between lyrics um musical quality and uh, uh story like it's everything it's just it's it's beautiful anyway that's kind of what i've been into lately um i've really been digging that artist and I've got a couple of other artists that I've been listening to, but 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 nothing that really kind of comes comes close to the quality of that of that of that of that artist. So yeah, yeah, uh, I just looked them up, and yeah, Novo Amor is that it? Yeah, 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 that's him. Cool. I've been digging them. Uh, I've also been reading some Plato. <laughs> nice. The uh, the Republic. Mm-hmm. I've, I've I found a, a a group of Episcopalians actually. Uh, a bunch of guys here in Tyler that I've been kind of hanging out with. They're all like extremely intellectual. And when I've about eight or nine of them, they actually all have the same tattoo right here. It's an American spirit tattoo. They all smoke American spirits and they all have the same tattoo right here on their wrists. It's the funniest light little bro club that I've ever been or been and introduced to, but when they have discussions, like they go down to the metaphysics of a of a of, a, of an issue or a problem, and, and like they'll cite philosophers when they're and I've just been so impressed with the way that they hold a debate or a conversation. So they kind of inspired me to read some Plato. So I've been working my way through the Republic lately, and uh, so yeah, music. No more and reading the Republican Phaedrus. So yeah, that's me. Cool, dude. What about you guys? I've I've re jumped right back into the uh, hiatus Coyote band pool. Oh yeah, like, that's good. I'm just like I'd, Great I hadn't band. listened to them. I hadn't listened to them in a while, and then it came on in the store the other day, and then it was just all it took, and that's all I've been listening to again. Um, yeah. Every now and then, I do try to like find what people are listening to in other countries, and like, I found this guy, and I don't actually know how popular he is over there, but this guy named uh, Shugo Tokamaru, I believe his name is Japanese, and to mm-hmm. me, he just sounds like what, like a low key version of like a Japanese Paul Simon, maybe. <laughs> interesting. <laughs> it's just interesting. It's, it's it's been really interesting to listen to, and uh, his music videos have been really fun to watch too. They're like really. I just you'd have to look it up sometime. I can see if I can send it to you. But I I've I've enjoyed them. They're very upbeat, happy feeling, and I don't know. Maybe I just maybe I just need a little bit of that in my life lately. But it's mm-hmm. I've I've I, I really enjoy listening to it. It's fun. Yeah, yeah. And I've been listening to not. I just got into this like the other day. This volcano choir. Uh, oh it's, yeah. It's the same. Yeah, it's the same dude that uh, Bonnie Vare. It's the oh, it's the same yes. guy. Oh yeah, keep going, keep going. No, it's just so uh, interesting. Vernon? Yeah, Justin Vernon. It's just so interesting because it's like it's the same guy. It's just like he wanted to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he just wanted to be start a new band basically that was similar but had a different 
I don't yeah. know, a different spirit, and it's just, yes, yeah, good. Have Hail you Manda. heard Justin Vernon's uh, Big Red Machine album? I have not. Whenever you hang up this, 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 <laughs> you got to go straight there. Because I'm sorry, I should have oh, mentioned him before, uh, before, um, dude, like, you're a percussionist. What he does with time in this entire album is just fascinating. He he really shows out here in in the Big Red Machine album. I've, I've that's all that and the Novo More is literally all I listen to. But Justin Vernon, he hurts he hurts people with that new album. <laughs> he <good>. hurts people. <laughs> oh so, man, yeah, dude, that's hip. That and uh, I've been listening to Nico Muley's music a lot. Who's he's a contemporary classical composer, but it's okay. Uh, I don't know. It's, his language is just so different. Mm, okay. Okay. Yeah. But uh, yeah. yeah, it's all for me. I haven't been. I haven't been watching or I haven't been reading anything except for school-related things. Yeah. Dissertation. Shh. Shh. Hush. We don't speak of that. We don't speak. When's of it dis- due? Uh, you know. The next ten years. Yeah, yeah, within eight <laughs> within eight years. <laughs> oh man, eight years and seven months. You know, somewhere in there, it's fine. But no, yeah, I've just been doing that. But um, well, dude, James, thanks for thanks for hanging. This is great. Hey man, thank y'all. I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. We'll have we'll have to do. It. Yeah, next time we're all in Texas, we need to. We need to do the hang again. That was, oh yeah, that was good. Mm, yeah, yeah. Oh man. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. For anybody listening, uh, I guess this will be the twenty fourth if you're listening. But uh, thanks for listening, and we'll catch y'all next time on episode number eight, getting close to that big ten. Yeah.